First Peter chapter 3, if you would open up your copy of God's Word, First Peter chapter number 3. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing unto you, O God, our Rock and our Redeemer. Where we have failed you, forgive us. What we do not know, teach us. And Father, where we have strayed, draw us. Bless us now to study and learn from your word. In Christ alone we ask. Amen. First Peter chapter 3. I want to read in your hearing just one verse. But oh my, what a verse. First Peter chapter 3 verse 18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. The old King James, the just for the unjust. That he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Why Jesus died. I want to begin by asking a question. A question that is of incredible significance. Now, I'm not asking, and you might do us a favor by not giving an audible answer, um, but I'm not asking for an audible answer, but together this morning within your own mind, perhaps answer this question this morning. One final disclaimer, this is not a trick question. I'm not trying to trick you. I'm not trying to trip you up. This is not a trick question, and even if the answer seems overly obvious, indulge me anyway, if you will, allow me to ask it anyway, but why did Jesus Christ die? Why did Jesus die? That is the question that I want us to ask and answer together this morning. Why did this person known as Jesus of Nazareth, why, why did he die? If we are wise enough to trust the biblical and the historical account of the life and times of Jesus of Nazareth, it is clear that not only was he a real person, but he was a real person who lived. But he was also a real person who died. And being able to accurately answer why Jesus died is of eternal importance. Regardless of what the skeptics may say, there was a literal man named Jesus. The God-man who was born in Bethlehem, lived some 33 years or so and died on a Roman, a Roman cross. But the, the question I'm setting before you today is why? Why did Jesus die? Was he just a, a helpless victim? Was he just in the wrong place at the wrong time? Was Jesus a weak and powerless martyr? Or was there divine design in the death of God's Son? And if so, what was it? So as we consider this inquiry together, I'm not suggesting that we 
take turns and make our way around the room and each person gives an audible answer to this question. But if this question interests you, take just a moment and answer within your own mind, why, why did Jesus die? I imagine every confessing Christian, everyone who is a believer here could answer, give an answer, even if we don't all say exactly the same thing, why he died. But what if, for just a moment, what if we reached out to quote, mainstream Christianity? What if we reached out to the overly broad umbrella of evangelicalism and asked every person under that title why Jesus died? There's no telling what kind of answer you might get. I would say that some answers would be encouraging and some of the answers would be discouraging. I think some of the answers that some may give would be both sad and shocking. Though I hope some would be accurate as well. If we ask the human philosophy and empty theology of Joel Osteen's brand of evangelicalism, why Jesus died, what do you think someone who sits under his ministry might respond? It is likely they would say something like, Jesus died to, to make us a better person, make us better people. Jesus died to build our self-esteem. Or if we ask the health and wealth gospel folks, our charismatic Pentecostal friends, if we ask them why Jesus died, they may reply with something like to make you rich, to make you prosperous, to give you financial freedom or a long life. But a mature-minded Christian would recognize that these are an adolescent answer to a serious question. But let's not just, let's not just swing at the low-hanging fruit what if we ask some more serious-minded saints? In fact, if each of us this morning were compelled to write down our answers on a board as to why Jesus died, what do you suppose that might look like among us? It's likely that our answers would differ, at least to some degree. But I would think... I would hope that all of our answers would be true and scripturally accurate even if we use some slightly different language among ourselves. It's possible that we could all sort of say the same thing but maybe say it in different ways. But can I push back just a little? I'm going to get in the car and go home in a little while so I can get away with maybe a little something. Can I push back just a little bit? Because when it comes to answering why Jesus died, I think there should be absolute clarity about the answer to this question. There should be a consensus among true Christians 
as to how we answer this question. So silently, I hope maybe you answered my inquiry as to why Jesus died, and I would think that some of us would say something like this. Jesus died to pay for the sins of a world of sinners. And that would be true. Jesus died to redeem fallen men. That would be true. Jesus died to remove the curse, to defeat death. Amen. That's true. Or we might say Jesus died so that we could enter into heaven and not suffer the torments of the eternal lake of fire. And thank God that is true. Yet, I don't think those reach far enough. They're not all-encompassing enough, those answers. So let me, if you will, up the ante a little bit by asking my question like this. What was the ultimate purpose behind the death of Christ? If we press in just a, a little more, a little deeper, and ask what was Jesus accomplishing by dying for our sins, by defeating death, by removing the curse. And if indeed the death of Christ was part of God's divine design, and there was a providential purpose to his death, what is the pinnacle and primary purpose or reason that Jesus died? And I think the answer to that is right here in this text. I want to sum it up the way Peter sums it up. Are you ready? The ultimate reason why Jesus died, look at this passage, that he might bring us to God. That's why Christ died. There are seven words that capture the chief design in the death of Jesus. Yes, Jesus died for the sins of lost sinners. Yes, he suffered to redeem fallen man. Yes, he's defeated death and because of him we can enter into heaven and not go to hell. But ultimately, ultimately friends, the death of Jesus, the sacrifice of the Messiah was that he might bring us to God. This statement that is included right here is what theologians call a purpose clause. A purpose clause. A statement of intent. Now these things such as the atonement and conquering death and restoring the last Adam, restoring what the first Adam lost... All of these things are necessary. Don't misunderstand me. They absolutely are necessary. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. But they are actually and truthfully supplementary and complementary to this truth. Listen, Christian. Jesus died so that he could bring you to God. Now that doesn't sound flashy. I didn't hear a big thundering chorus of amens when I said that. But listen to me. That truth is beyond beautiful. It is beyond beautiful that Christ would die 
so that you and I could be restored into perfect fellowship with our Creator, God, and Father. That's rich. That's good. I know it's not nearly as flashy as saying Jesus died so you could have a great life. Doesn't sound as good as saying Jesus died so you could be a multimillionaire and own a private jet. But you know what's far better? That you could be one with God. In this text, I believe we find the ultimate design for the suffering substitutionary work of Christ. And that is that we might, listen to this, for the glory of God, enjoy God forever. The sacrifice of the Savior was not merely so that we could be forgiven. Yes, that's part of it. But that we could fellowship with the Father in unbroken communion forever. But how? And this is where we've got to do a little textual work, a little digging. Now that we know, I hope, we know the why that Jesus died, that he may bring us to God, now we must answer the how. How is Jesus going to bring us to God? How is he going to do that? What, what is necessary? What must necessarily happen in order for us to be brought to God. And again, I think that answer is found right here in our passage, in our text. And I want to notice with you this morning six certainties about the death of Jesus and what he did for us that he might bring us to God. I'll move through them quickly. At least in my estimation, it'll be quickly. I want you to notice out of verse 18, Jesus died to bring us to God. But you know what, what necessitated us being brought? What was necessary? First, I want you to notice a single sacrifice. A single sacrifice. We're going to dissect verse 18. For Christ also suffered, notice this word, once. Once for sins. Now in the greater context, Peter is showing that Christ endured suffering as an example to us. That even he who did no wrong still suffered. But Peter is saying more than that here. He is also saying that there was something unique about the death of Jesus. And that he might bring us to God, he had to suffer once for sins. A single sacrifice. Jesus suffered for sins, but friend, not his sins, but he suffered for our sins. That great passage out of Second Corinthians, I know it's not been long that you all studied this, that God hath made him, that is Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin, made him to be sin for us, though he knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. This is a single sacrifice made. In other words, Jesus will never endure what He endured before. He'll never go through this again. And I think inarguably, Peter is referring back to the Old Testament sacrificial system. And he's making a contrast, a comparison to what Israel, the Jewish nation, did through their the feasts, the sacrifices, that whole religious system of bringing an animal year after year, day after day, I think 
Peter is making a contrast to that and saying, all of that was just temporary and type, but what Jesus did, he did once. Throughout the history of the people of Israel, on the great day of atonement, the high priest would enter in to that holy of holies and make sacrifice for the sins of the people. But you know what? He had to do that year after year after year after year. But Hebrews 7 tells us that Jesus did this once for all time when he offered up himself. And just so I can say this and move on, that once for all is once for all time. And Hebrews 9 verse 12 says, He entered once into that holy place, not with the blood of bulls or goats, but with his own blood to make atonement for us. The single sacrifice of Jesus is sufficient. The one and only single sacrifice of Jesus is sufficient to bring all God's elect people to God. This was a single sacrifice, and it will never happen again. Friends, when Christ comes back the next time, it won't be like it was the first time. He was born king, and when he comes back, he's going to lay hold and take siege to his kingdom. You can count on that. But not only was it a single sacrifice, notice with me secondly, this was a suffering sacrifice. Verse number 18, again, Christ also suffered. He suffered. I tell my church back home, as simple as it sounds, the word sacrifice demands suffering. If it doesn't hurt, it's not a sacrifice. But Jesus suffered for us that he might bring us to God. Jesus suffered, and I think we can rightly say, like no one else has ever suffered. The eternal Son of God came to this earth, walked as God-man among men, and suffered every single day. I don't... I think sometimes we, we think only, only about the last few hours of the life of Jesus as his suffering. But that's not. His suffering and his endurance reaches all the way back to at least till birth. You ever been around some really rotten people? Just foul, vile language, behavior, and conduct, and it just sort of turns your stomach? How much more so the sinless Son of God who willingly and went out of his way to be around sinners. But that was suffering. He endured that. That he may bring... Man, my mind's running to a hundred places. Go through the gospel accounts... It doesn't matter whoever, any of those, that he may take this woman possessed with a devil and bring her to God. He may take blind Bartimaeus and bring him to God. Or that he may take one of us and bring us to God. He suffered that he may bring us to God. Jesus suffered hatred, rejection, pain, persecution, humiliation, isolation, dehydration, and ultimately crucifixion. 
He suffered. And today, as you observe communion together, your mind should be thinking about the suffering servant, Jesus, who suffered in your place and in your stead so that He may bring you to God. I don't want to make too much of this, but I think there's something to be said that when Jesus was nailed to that Roman cross, in one hand, he was, he was laying hold of sinful men. And with the other hand, he was holding on to holy God. And he was uniting them together through his sacrificial death in our behalf. Bringing us to God. Where mercy and truth meet and righteousness and holiness kiss at Calvary. In our place and in our stead. He suffered. He suffered when God the Father blackened out the Son and poured out His holy fury on His Son where He was made to be sinned and endured the hell that we deserve. He suffered. As the Son, He suffered the humiliation of being nailed to that cross probably without an, a stitch of clothing, humiliated before His own mother. He gave His back to the smiters. They plucked out his beard. They spit on his face. He suffered. And you know why he did that? So that he might bring you to God. Jesus had to suffer. This was a suffering sacrifice. Notice with me, thirdly, this was a substitutionary sacrifice. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, the just for the unjust, the holy for the unholy, the innocent for the guilty. I would imagine most all of us are familiar with what it means to be a substitute. If we were to think back perhaps to our, at least my public school days when our teacher wasn't there, they would send a substitute teacher who was there to fill in, take the place of the normal teacher. And what Jesus did at Calvary was that he became the sinner's substitute. He took our place. The wrath that we deserve, he endured. The misery, suffering, humiliation that he endured, we merit that, but he took our place as our substitute. This is illustrated by the death of that Passover lamb. That innocent little lamb that had done no wrong, they would shed the, the blood of that little lamb and sprinkle it on the doorpost that the angel of death would pass over the people. You're familiar with this language, Exodus language. And Jesus shed his blood. He became our substitute. He yielded up his life that the angel of death would pass over us. He became our substitute. 
The big word is he suffered and died vicariously in our place. It is no wonder that the songwriter said this. And when I think that God, his son, not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in that on the cross, my burdens gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, how great thou art. Jesus suffered and died as our substitute. Can I say it like this? It took God to save us from God. We were saved by God, from God, and for God. Yes, we are. But then notice with me, fourthly, I told you I'd go quick. This was a purposeful sacrifice as we mentioned earlier that he might bring us to God there's something implied there that maybe we would run right past if we didn't take just a moment to think on it he says Jesus died that he might bring us to God so what does that imply that we're not near God that we are separated from God And if we are to be brought to him, something has to happen. Now we as Christians believe that separation took place in the Garden of Eden when the first, our first parents rebelled against God, did what they were commanded not to do, and sin, death, the curse, all the wickedness, evil, death, disease, everything has fallen upon man because of man's disobedience. Adam and Eve enjoyed unfettered fellowship with God until sin entered in. And what was lost by the first Adam is and will be restored by the second Adam or the last Adam. And this is why Christ died, that he could restore that unfettered fellowship with God. That we could walk with him and talk with him, read Revelation. I will be their God and will dwell with them. That's the promise. We are not naturally with God. We are far from God. In fact, Ephesians' language is that we are alienated from God. We are at enmity with God. We are not near Him, but we must be brought near by the blood of Christ. The ultimate intention... And God's plan of redemption was that he would bring a people to himself. So Christ volunteered to come. That he might bring us to God. I started a list. When I was working on this sermon, I began to make a list of the benefits of being a believer. You want something that will occupy your time, start that list. The benefits of being a believer. And as I started writing, I had to quit because I knew it was going to take too long. And I knew I'd fail because I I don't even think we can list all the benefits of being a believer. 
But just think real quick of a few that I noted. As a Christian, we are given the companionship of other believers. We can one another one another. That's something. We have peace. The Bible talks about a peace that passes all understanding, even in the midst of turmoil. We know and understand where we came from and where we are headed. We have angels watching over us. Bless their sweethearts. Some of us keep them very busy, do we not? We have victory over Satan. We believe God has a purpose in all He does and works all things together for our good and His glory. We have the ability to pray and be heard. We better understand how life began and what our purpose of existence is. We have God's Word to guide us and His Spirit that indwells us. We have mercy that is brand new every morning. Now there are just ten quick benefits or blessings of being a Christian. Much, much more could be said. And while all of those are great, don't misunderstand me, none of those equal, though they support and are necessary, None of these things equal the inexpressible privilege of being brought back into fellowship with with our Creator. Jesus made a way. There was a purpose in His death. It was purposeful. He made a way when there was no way. He alone, Jesus alone, has bridged the gap between earth and heaven. He has come to bring us to God. Do you understand today that the greatest gift that God can give us is the gift of Himself? The greatest thing God can give you is Himself. Not material things. Thank God for them. These other things that we've mentioned, thank God for them. But the greatest gift God can give you is Himself. And this is what Christ has done. He died for sin. He paid our debt. He did indeed conquer the grave. But dear believer, listen, He died so that He might bring you to God. Yet this wonderful privilege and this eternal honor came at a great cost. Fifthly, a costly sacrifice. Again, out of our text, being put to death in the flesh. Not only did Jesus suffer, but friends, He died. Not only did He die, He was put to death. He was killed. The Messiah was murdered. The Christ was crucified. Yes, indeed, he willingly yielded up the ghost or yielded to death. But at the same time, make no mistake, the Lord Jesus Christ literally lived and literally died. You want to know what it cost 
to bring you to God, it required the death of God's Son. Though he did no wrong, Jesus was condemned and killed as a criminal. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in him would have everlasting life. God gave his Son up for us. This was a costly sacrifice. But then sixthly, I want you to notice this was a victorious sacrifice. Notice the close of verse number 18. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. There's some kind of textual arguments commentary disagreement on exactly what that means. I'm not a thousand percent sure I know, but I know this, Jesus rose from the dead. Empowered by God the Father, God the Son. You want to say, well, did the Father raise Jesus? Did the Spirit raise Jesus? Did Jesus raise Jesus? You know what the answer is? Yes. God, the triune God, raised Jesus from the dead. And I think when he's making reference to here, Verse number 18, being made alive in the Spirit, not just that his physical body came to life, but that he was raised by the Holy Spirit of God. Friends, the story of Christianity does not end with a dead Messiah, but a risen Savior. He arose. You say, are you people, do you really believe Jesus rose from the dead? Yes, I do. What are you trusting? Well, what, what, what other option do you have? You have a better story than that? What is your faith in? Today, this, this assembly, this group will honor and commemorate the suffering sacrifice of Jesus that died on our behalf. But I want you to notice this. Not only did Jesus die, but Jesus rose again. And listen, as you celebrate communion, you do show forth the Lord's death till He comes again. You're not only looking backwards, you're looking forwards because we serve a risen Savior. The old song says, He lives, He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. And I don't want to make too many enemies, but he, the song goes on to say, You ask me how I know he lives? Well, he lives within my heart. Well, that's good, but you ask me how I know he lives? God's Word says he lives. And that's more reliable than my own experience even. But preachers got to be careful picking on songs because they can make an enemy in a hurry. I can tell you that right there. Well, today I've tried to set before you six certainties about the death of Jesus. But understand, first and foremost, all of us should to try, should strive to value that Jesus died that He may bring us to God. Do you have any con do we have any concept of what that means? That we are going to be with God forever? What a glorious privilege this is, my friends. And there's only one way that can happen because Jesus said, no one comes to the Father 
but by me. There are scores of people who want to go to heaven. But how many of them want Jesus? Do you think, listen to me now, do you think you could be happy in heaven without God? I want to repeat what John Piper said. He said, people who would be happy in heaven if Christ were not there, will not be there. If you could enjoy heaven and not God, you don't know God because heaven is nothing without God. Each of us, saved and unsaved, those who are believers and those who are unbelievers, we spend way too much of our lives trying to fill this God-shaped void inside of us with lesser things and it never satisfies. And instead, only God can truly satisfy us. Only God can. But thankfully, Jesus died in order that He might bring us to God. It is the Westminster Shorter Catechism that says this. What is the chief end of man? What is it? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's why Jesus died. That you and I could glorify God and enjoy Him forever. What a privilege this is. What an honor. And when we think about the death of Jesus, yes, that He saved us from our sins. Yes, that, that, that He conquered death. and Yes, but listen, He died that He could bring you to God. Us undeserving, hell-bound sinners could be turned around and brought to God. What a great God this is.